Heavenly Father, thank you so much for what you've done for us. We look at the sacrifice that you have given, how you thought about us from the very beginning. You sent your one and only Son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have life that is everlasting. You help us to be able to look forward to that day as we follow you and we get to spend forever and eternity with you. And we thank you so much for that. Help us to have that as our focus in our own lives, that regardless of what comes up from day to day, that we still look to that moment and that day where we get to be with you, that we get to serve you and worship you for forever and eternity. Thank you for grafting us into your family and loving us in that way. Father, as we open up your text this morning, we want to hear you speak to us through your words. Help us to see how we would apply them to our lives, that we would be strong and courageous because of who you are and who you have made us to be. Father, give me the words to say and how to say them. Hide me behind the cross so people might see more of you and less of me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. My Lord, my strength and my redeemer. It's in whom I trust. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning again. We'll be continuing our series here this morning in the book of Nehemiah. We'll be in Nehemiah chapter 7 here today. Uh, right now, uh, my daughter Jemiah is uh, on a trip into the United Kingdom to study abroad for her school. And while I'm excited for her and these uh, things that she's experiencing, I'm a little jealous that she got to go to the UK before I did. <laughs> but um, she is having the time of her life over there. And I'm hoping she comes back with Lots of uh, pictures of the, the architecture and stories and, and things of that nature. It's something I'm, I'm looking forward to, everything that she's e experiencing there. Well, I would love to be able to go because of the, that architecture, because of all the, the buildings and the cathedrals that they have over there. I imagine that they are just beautiful in person. As you look at pictures, and they're captivating on their own. However, there's a large problem with many of these cathedrals, and the problem is that nobody is in them worshiping. A lot of these uh, cathedrals that have been built up uh, from, from history past, you know, now are abandoned, and nobody is there in them worshiping anymore. The people are gone. There's nobody there on a regular basis. And even coming out of this pandemic, pandemic if, if we're not careful, many of our churches here in the U.S. will be the same way. This is what we see in our text this morning as Nehemiah is building up the, the foundational support and security walls for Jerusalem. What he finds is that there's nobody there. There's very few people that are there living in the city. While Nehemiah had overcome this tremendous adversity went through to rebuild these walls around Jerusalem. And he did this, by the way, in 52 days. This is incredible what they were able to accomplish in such a short time, only just to have a few people that were there once it was completed. 
a few few people that were here there to help get this uh, building uh, the, the walls instructed there for them themselves and now he's on a mission not now that the walls are completed he's on a mission to rebuild and restore the people people had uh, done all this physical work but the, the job just wasn't done Nehemiah is telling the people that um, if you follow Christ you remember all the things that, that God has, has done for us. It's, it's now time for the people to come back. It's time that we come back and worship our God. But what does this look like? If, if we're going to work toward re, rebuilding the people of God, what, what steps does this take? What, what would this look like for us if we were talking about rebuilding people for God. As we look around many of our churches and Christian communities are just a shell of what they used to be. And here at First Baptist Bolingbrook, you know, Mother's Day is it, it was typically one of our largest uh, attended services. And Father, Father's Day historically has been one of the least attended. Our church was started 55 years ago through revival and it ignited this very community that we're in. But now it seems that we're satisfied just to survive. Satisfied just to get to moment to moment. We, we lack the fire that we once knew 55 years ago when this church started. But it's not just us. It's many churches uh, around here in our area, uh, in Illinois, across the United States and the globe, many churches today are on life support. I'm looking at statistics all the time. I'm a statistics nerd, but sometimes looking at them is bad for my health when you look at the number of churches who are closing from week to week. It's troubling. Many of our Christian schools started off with a mission to send out pastors and missionaries, but now are more concerned about catering to the world and what the world wants them to do and what those values are. If we were to honestly take an assessment of ourselves in our own lives, many of us might find that there were times in our lives where we loved God more and we're more passionate about them, about, about him than we are right now. There was a time in our life that we were on fire. There, there was a time when, when God was just continuous on our lips and we just wanted people to hear what he's done for us. But over time, somehow that just got stuffed down, buried, and more important things going on. Brothers and sisters, how do we rebuild the community we serve in addition to rebuilding our own spiritual lives. What do we need to do? What does that look like? If our goal is to rebuild our lives and by extension God's church, it's imperative that we refocus, that we think about our priorities and what they are in our own lives so that we can hearken back to when we were on fire when we were recognizing all the things that God 
was doing for us and how he was at work for us in our own lives. We need to change our priorities. And this is what Nehemiah helps us to see in this particular chapter. As he seeks to rebuild the city and the nation of Israel, we see where his priorities are. As we take a look at this, it's helpful for us to understand how we make the, the first things uh, first in, in our own lives, and then we seek to rebuild our communities, and we, then we rebuild our churches, and we rebuild ourselves. We see how important that is. First, I want you to see here in the text how we need to prioritize worship. Look with me in Nehemiah chapter 7. In verse 1, it says, Now when the wall had been built, and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers, the singers and the Levites had been appointed. I'm going to stop there. The first thing we see that Nehemiah does is after they have completed rebuilding the, the physical wall, he goes and appoints, he says, the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites. Well, why? I mean, it's easy to read this and to go really fast and, and, and just drill into the rest of the chapter, but why is this significant? Why does this matter? His goal was to make sure that worship was front and center. Nehemiah wanted to make sure that God was uh, uh, there and he, he was uh, uh, the one that to, to be worshipped and he wanted the people to remember that God was the one that got them there. They didn't do it all on their own. The God was there every step of the way. And God needs to be at the center of everything going forward. He wanted to make sure that that was front and center. The Levites were responsible for maintaining the temple. And they were called to teach scripture to the people. They were the priests. They were the ones there to ensure there was proper biblical instruction. The sinkers were set up to lead Israel in, in praise. Jerusalem was the capital city of Israel and was designated as the place for worship. People from all over Israel and other nations would go through the gates of Jerusalem to worship God. That was the goal. That was the point. So when Nehemiah is appointing these gatekeepers, the singers and the Levites, he is restoring the worship. It's the first thing on his agenda. We've got the physical walls done. The gates are up. Now we have a semblance of protection. Now we need to get to business. The first order of business is worship. This was his first priority. My question is, is it a priority for us today? Is it our first order of business? When we wake up, when we go about our days, what is the first thing that is on our mind? If I'm honest, many kids are going to become some of the best baseball players or soccer players in hell because the priority is getting to all these tournaments instead of focusing on ensuring that they know Jesus. And I admit, I used to be soft on this. I used to say, well, you know, even though they're, they're at the tournaments and they're, not, they're missing worship, well, it matters what they're doing in the home, but the fact of the matter is they ain't doing nothing at home either. 
And that is a detriment to, to God's people. It's not like most of these kids are going to go pro. And I, I know you got to get kids active and all these things, but you got to make the first things first. Make sure your priorities are in the right place. We've got to submit our lives to him. Now, please don't misunderstand. Just taking up space here in the pew doesn't punch your ticket to get to heaven either. We've got to be active. We've got to submit our lives to him and be following him and be obedient to him to what he's called us to do. And what he's called us to do is be disciples who make disciples. That's our goal. That's our purpose. That's our aim. You don't need to go and take a year off and find yourself. The text tells us exactly what God wants us to do. Be a disciple who makes disciples. And if we're not doing that, we're missing the point. We're barking up the wrong tree. This is our goal. This is our aim. This was the, the command that Jesus gave to us before he ascended. And the sooner that we recognize this, the sooner that we get on our mission, I believe, the sooner that we'll see Jesus return. We got to get on our mission. Now, does that mean you can never miss church or you can never go on vacation? No, that's not. I don't want you to hear that. That's not what I'm saying. But a way that you know that God is a priority in life is because you long to worship him. You long to be with God and his people. That's how you know you've made his priority for yourself in your life. You'll find a place of worship when you're on vacation. Even if you have to gather together with your family and have your own service and, or Bible study and prayer time, you would long to be able to do that. Somebody just told me that even though they couldn't be here for the Lord's Supper, they were away and they watched online and gathered some elements together and they, they celebrated with us even though they weren't physically here. Man, I love to hear that. That's how you know when your priorities are in alignment, when you, when you don't want to miss the Lord's table, you don't want to miss communion with your family, even your church family. You just don't want to miss it. But don't get me wrong, it's hard. I'm not saying that any of this is easy. Because our flesh gets in the way. Our flesh pulls us here and, and there and things look good to us over here. And, and, and we're like, well, is it, it won't hurt anything if I just concentrate a little bit over here and I'll get back to that. No. Check out what um, the Israelites wrote. It was, it was even hard for them in Psalm 137. It says this, by the waters of Babylon, they were... There we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion on the willows. There we hung up our lyres for there were captors required of, of a song and our tormentors myrrh saying, sing us one of those songs of Zion. Then they asked this question to themselves. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? It was tough for them. It was hard. They didn't know what to do. They, it was hard for them to sing while they were outside of the land where they were being harassed by the foreigners. I imagine they continued to struggle when they were back in Jerusalem without the walls. Like, how are we supposed to do this? Things just look dreary for us. How am I supposed to continue to go on? 
here they are still in Jerusalem, still being harassed and attacked. And we see this happen in the Ephesian church as well. In Revelation 2, it says they were doing a lot of good things, but they rejected the main thing. While they were doing good works, they were testing the false apostles, they were persevering through hardships, but still they lost their first loves. Christ says to them in Revelation 2 and 4, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you or remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Brothers and sisters, we should absolutely be concerned with the good things in our lives and worthy causes. We should be thinking about those things and have some con a concern for what is taking place in our world. We, we should feed the uh, hungry. We, we, sure, we should stand up for the poor. We should stand up for the unborn. We should protect the uh, against trafficking. We should uh, be doing evangelism and supporting missions. But none of this comes before worship. It's how we are able to do all these things when we first rightly put ourselves where we need to be in the stance of worship. And as pastor, through everything that we've been through at this particular church, I've done everything that I can to ensure that worship is central to what we do here. While we may not have enough teachers for Sunday school and growth groups, we will still have worship. While everybody was on lockdown two years ago, it was important, it was paramount that we still had worship online, whatever it was. While we haven't had as many fellowship meals together, we still have worship. And while we might not have enough volunteers for cleaning or VBS, the village picnic, and many other things, we will still have worship because everything pours out of that. When we take worship seriously, everything else in our lives will fall into place. It will energize us to do everything else that God has called us to do. Now, I'm careful not to make, to make sure that I'm not the one front and center of worship. It's not me that you're worshiping. It's not me who wants to be in front of you and, and, and have all these accolades. No, we, we are here because uh, if we worship God and seek his face, and then it'll help us to focus on his church. It'll help us to realize who God is and what he's done for us. That we will fall on our knees with, with thanksgiving that we would seek him first when we have struggles struggles and, and challenges. If we put the first things first and realize who God is and what he's done because we were made to worship. First Peter 2 and 9 says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Man, what a, what a great thing that is. We are made to worship. 
So even, even if you're not here, I mentioned uh, taking the kids to uh, all the, 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 these tournaments and everything. It's more worship going on over there than it is in here sometimes. Jumping up, yeah, they scored, yes! And up and down and throwing a fist and high-fiving and getting excited. But if we come to worship, our hands in our pockets and solemn and sitting on our hands, we follow a God with the greatest story ever told. But what God has done for us is, is incredible, it's unimaginable. How could you sit on your hands? How could you not be excited? How come we don't see the same fist bumps here? The excitement, the jumping up and down for what God has done and who he is. I don't, I don't know how that's possible. I don't care what you say about the, the cubs or the bears or whatever, but they fail. They pale in comparison to who God is and what he's done. There's not enough World Series or Super Bowls that can make it worthy of who God is. Man, it's, if we lose our first love, if we neglect the worship of God as the priority in our lives and our communities, then God would be just in disciplining us and removing our lampstand. If we reprioritize our life on, on everything else that is going on and, and, and worship is just a, an extra thing, it, he will be right to come and discipline us. It only makes sense. Somehow we, we've grown to think that, that worship is optional. If, if I got time, I'll, I'll get to it. I, I'm busy. I, I'm going to go swing the links at the golf course. Or I'm gonna... How? How is that possible? That we would neglect God and being with his people. Oh, well, you know, it's just a bunch of hypocrites at church. You're right. We are a bunch of hypocrites, just like everybody else in this world. But because of who Christ is, it's because he, he gave up his life for us, because he washed us clean by his blood that we can stand here and have any amount of righteousness. It's only because of who Jesus is. And for that, he deserves all the honor, all the praise, all the glory that these sports teams don't deserve. That your favorite celebrity does not deserve. And as great as our families are, they don't hold a candle to what Jesus has done for you. In the Westminster Shorter Catechism, we learn that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So how do we restore our first love and our worship? Here's what Jesus tells the Ephesian church in Revelation 2 and 5. He says, remember, therefore, where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place until you repent. Repentance is churchy word. 
that we use meaning that that we would ask for forgiveness and not like not like we were used to maybe maybe if you offend somebody else oh my bad that's my fault I'm sorry no that's not repenting repenting is is really understanding and viewing how you've gone against God and you go to him with everything and, and truly ask and beg for his forgiveness that you would fall on your knees and ask for him to forgive you but not just that but you would turn away from what you've done the sin that he's helped you to identify in your life that you won't have any parts of that anymore, that you would take it so seriously. Then Jesus says, look, if, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Now, he wasn't talking about self-mutilation, but he's trying to explain to us how serious we ought to take sin in our lives. That we should have no part in it. We should turn away. If you're walking this way towards sin, you turn around and walk the other way towards Christ. Every single time. There's people in your life that want to pull you down. and, Hey man, this is cool. Well, you don't hang out with us anymore. You don't do these things with us anymore. I, you know, I just can't. I'm going to be over here. Why don't you come with me? Let me tell you why I don't do those things anymore. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ and what he's done for me. What he's done for you. We try to fill this God-sized hole in our lives with everything else. With other people, drugs, alcohol, parties, work, careers. We try to fill this God-sized hole with everything else in the world, but the only person that can fill that is God himself, our Heavenly Father. That's the answer. That's where we need to have our focus. We've got to remember when God was our first love, when he had, when he was over all in our lives, when he was our delight. We have to remember that. Do you remember what it was like when you first came to Christ? Do you remember what it was like when you understood who Christ is? Do you remember how exciting you were to know that the God of the universe knows you and loves you and cares for you? Do you remember when you first understood that God uh, adopted you into his family? Some folks never knew their earthly father or maybe didn't have a good relationship with him. But what was it like to realize that your Heavenly Father loves you perfectly? I was talking to somebody recently who was new in the faith and they just kept talking about how they see the world so differently. They, they accepted Christ and started following him. And then it, it seemed like there were scales that were lifted from their eyes. And they're seeing the, the world very differently than what they used to. They're able to see God in, in, in nature. 
And they were able to look back on their own lives and, and say, well, I shouldn't even made it out of there. I shouldn't be here today, but for the grace of God, I am. Man, I wish we could go back and recapture what that was like when we first encountered Christ. Maybe we wouldn't sit on our hands, have our hands in our pocket. Maybe we would be free to worship him, throw our hands up in the air and, and, and shout and yell, whatever it takes. I wish we could recapture that in our own lives. And remember, in our first love, we need to give back to reading our Bible on a regular basis. That's how we know him. That's how we get to know God. Imagine how a relationship where you never spoke to that person. Or they tried to speak to you and you walked away or turned them off or you shut them out. Imagine a relationship like that. There's, that wouldn't be a relationship, would it? Those people wouldn't want to be with you for very long. God speaks to us through his word. That's how we get to know the character of God. We get to know who he is. We get to know who, who his people are. We get to see how he's worked with his people throughout time. And, and what, was, what was true for them will be true for us. We serve the same God. But that's how we get to know them. So we need to get back to our Bible studies. We need to give back to serving each other and serving our communities. We need to do whatever it takes to put God first in our lives and restore our worship. It's time to come back. If you're here in the room, you might be here physically, but are you fully here? Are you fully present? If not, it's time to come back. If you're with us online, if you're in the Bolingbrook area, it's time to come back. We've gone through tumultuous times and try to navigate through this pandemic and everything that's going on. If you've got a mask up to come back, mask up and come back. You walk around with your hands sanitized, do whatever you've got to do. Put it on your hazmat suit, but it's time to come back. And I'm not saying it's easy. I, I mean, when you get out of habit and practice of doing something, it's, it's difficult. I used to go to the gym a lot and eat right. I lost 50 pounds at, at one point. I was looking good and feeling good. Then all of a sudden, I'm like, you know, it won't hurt to have some french fries. A little bit of pizza, it'll be all right. I'll get back on my diet on Monday. And then before you know it, <laughs> I'm going to end the story there. It's gotten bad, though. But we start to compromise who we are, what we're doing, how we live our lives. And it has eternal implications. Just like my bad habits and eating has implications. When you don't prioritize worship and spending time with God, it matters. It matters now and for eternity. So that's Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 1. You know, I could, I'm, I'm not going to go further than that, uh, but I could go. I mean, Nehemiah, he starts to call out people who weren't there, and he's calling them back by name. Maybe that's what I'll do next Sunday, and we will start calling out names of people who ain't here. Says the sons of Elam, the sons of Zatai, the sons of Zakai, the, son, the sons of Benuel. Hey, are, are you here? 
the son of Asgad, are, are, they, are they here? He calls them to come back to worship, and they do. He says, this is where God's people need to be, and they come back. Later, it tells that the whole assembly together, the people that came back were 42,360. This is besides their male and female servants who were there. That number was 7,337. They had 245 singers, male and female. They're going on top. He counted the horses. He counted the mules. He's counting all kinds of people and things, animals. The goal, the point is, it's time to come back. We need to get our priorities right. We need to get our things straight. Either you're going to worship God or you're going to worship something else. Because we are people of worship. So we need to recognize who or what it is that we are worshiping. God is the only one that leads to life. Everything else leads to death. I guarantee you that. So I'm going to close here, but I want to, as I leave here, I want you to think honestly about this. How has worship stopped being a priority in your life? What is taking the place of your first love? Is it work, your career, your family? It can even be ministry. If you're not careful, the work of the ministry can take the place of your first love. Because you're doing things for that thing's sake instead of glorifying God. So as you're considering these things in your own life, I'm going to call you to repent. I'm going to call you to turn away from those things and follow Jesus. I want you to turn to Christ. Remind yourself that he's the first thing. He's called us to worship him. Nehemiah understood that worship had to be reestablished because the, the people had let their circumstances, their, 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 even their survival, their, their careers, their families, they put all these things ahead of God instead of prioritizing worship. And Nehemiah says, we've got to change course. We've got to remember while, why we are here. Brothers and sisters, it's time to come back. Let's pray. Lord God, forgive us. We come to you right now just begging your forgiveness in the areas in our lives where we have lost our first love. Forgive us for having so many other things in our lives that we've reprioritized above you, above our worship for you. Help us to identify those things in our lives so that we can ask for your forgiveness and turn away from them 
and come back to you. But thank you for loving us in such a way that we know you're there for us. Even though that you knew we would go astray in this way, you still saw fit to send your one and only son to pay the price on our behalf so that we can live. Help us to live these things out. Help us to, to shout at the top of the rooftops about the goodness in your grace. Help us to go and tell others. Help us to be the church that you call us to be so that we would look forward to that day where we get to spend forever and eternity with you. And if there's anyone here under the sound of my voice that does not know you, that, that they would not leave here without asking the question, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Father, we submit ourselves to you. Our whole lives, everything that we have belongs to you. Use us, shape us, mold us into your image. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to be down here in front. Um, if you would like some prayer, um, Robin's there in the back. If uh, he can help you with anything as well, as far as prayer is concerned. Um, I, I want to be dead serious for us. This is so important. There's nothing more important in our lives than making a decision to follow Christ.